This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. All right. Matthew 21. I see a real change right now. I know this is the last week of Jesus, but um, I see a real change in him. Before, he has always, you know, his timing is perfect. He, he knew that he couldn't go to the cross before the right time. So he would tell, you know, now, you know, he would tell people and the ones he would do miracles on and he would say, you know, now don't tell or, you know, Jesus would escape sometime to be alone because he knew the anger of the Pharisees and he knew when he was to go to the cross, you know, so what a change this week. He knows he is on his way to the cross. He is, if I can say it this way, he's going to pull out all the steps he identifies himself for who he is. He, he just is so um, upfront with it all. This is what I saw, a, a extreme change. And as he approached Jerusalem, then he, they came to a place called Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with your colt by her. I don't know if you're amazed at details. I am amazed at how intricately he has got things so prepared, how he has got things arranged, how, how he's fulfilling scripture to the letter. I mean, it is just astounding to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs him. See, this is what started it for me. He calls himself what? Lord. And you tell him the Lord needs him. Because I'm sure the disciples are thinking, well, you mean I just go and take somebody's property? Do I just go up there and take the, the donkey and the colt and, and just walk away? And, you know, Jesus has got that all planned. He said, you just tell him the Lord needs him. And then he, th this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Just think, Isaiah, he intricately told these details, and if it didn't happen just the way, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, sometimes there's some confusion a little bit about, you know, in Zechariah um, chapter 9, it talks about one animal. And, you know, and then in Isaiah, you almost get the impression there's two animals, there's a donkey and a colt. And, you know, you can get all bent out of shape about, you know, which one's right. See, there's discrepancies in scripture, all that baloney. But, you know, whether, whether there whether there was two, the prominent thing we get to know is that Jesus was going to ride on a colt that had never been ridden before. And, and if you need some kind of explanation, like, okay, but what about says that, you know, the donkey, you know, and then the colt, and is he going to ride two at one time or what? I mean, if you just need a simple explanation, you got a, a baby, you got a baby colt who's never had a, a person ride on him before. You know, I don't know much about horse. I should let Bonnie talk about it. But, but I mean, there's, there's probably, you know, I mean, it says to me that that's got to be trained. A, a, a horse has got to learn how to carry, you know, someone of, of weight. What about uh, a baby, you know, what about a baby going through these streets with people, you know, carrying on and shouting? And, you know, usually they get, they get spooked quickly. And yet the prophecy said Jesus was going to ride on a colt. Never had been ridden before. Now, again, Jesus in details, I would dare say to keep that colt from being spooked or whatever. What do you think that colt, where is that colt going to feel confident? If his mom comes along. 
You know, and I don't know, take it for what it's worth, but I just don't like it when I hear people say, yeah, but one says one, another scripture says two, and you know, the idea is Jesus wrote a cult, it had never been written before, just like the prophet said it, and he did it. And then the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed, and they brought the, the donkey and the colt, and they placed their clothes on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is called the triumphant entry. And, and it, we know, we know that it was, because it was the, the beginning of Jesus fulfilling his ultimate mission for you and I. That was a triumphant entry. Unfortunately, Jesus knew that, that it wasn't, well, I had you look at Psalm 139, even though I know you go to it many times, but just a reminder how God knew their hearts, and he knew what was in their minds, and he knew what their, their shouting and proclaiming really meant. I don't think Jesus is really looking at this as something that he is rejoicing about because he, he knows what they're thinking. They've got it all wrong. And when they put their cloaks in the street, you know, what, what in the world was that about? Why would they have put their coats down so that, that animals could walk over them? And that was very symbolic of, of them saying, as, the, as Jesus rode on the colt over those coats, um, you know, we believe, we, um, we support you, we are loyal to you. But what did they believe about him? What did they want to believe about him? I know what they should have believed and what they wanted to believe are two different things. What they wanted to believe, of course, is that, yes, yes, he is. He is the king. He's going to save us from Rome. He's going to take, he's going to take all the tyranny away, and we're going to be comfortable and happy. Woohoo! So, yes, we're going to be loyal to you. We're going to support you. You're going to free us from Rome. And then what about those branches? That, that, to them, that signified victory and success. But again, about what? About what Jesus was going to do for them. That's why in that question I said, you're still seeing self-centeredness. They still can't get beyond the fact that they want what they want, and they want it now. And I think this is very relatable because this is what we think Jesus is supposed to do for us today. He is here to make us comfortable and happy. And when they're shouting, Hosanna, you know, we know that means save us. And they even call him son of David. And I had to think about that. And I thought, you know, I'm guilty. I know who he is. I, I don't doubt for a second who he is. And yet I still think he's supposed to do for me what I want him to do. You're supposed to fix this. This isn't supposed to happen or you're supposed to make it turn out my way. And I think before I get too upset, I can relate with these people because sure, I know who he is. However, I'm still shouting, save me from this. Have it turn out the way I want it to turn out. This is what I expect you to do. Isn't that what God's supposed to do? Make me comfortable and happy? Nope, that's never what he promised. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But if you keep your eyes on me, I will see to it you, you overcome. So when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, yeah, they're shouting. Oh, they're excited. But I, I, I feel so bad for Jesus because he knows that in just a few days, they are going to be shouting a whole different sound. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. 
And you know, maybe right now, I'm just going to throw this in again, because whenever we go into a, a sense of worship and praise, and you know, especially if it's real loud, and it's a song you love, and, and you know, you can get so caught up in the emotion, and you can get so fixated on, on what's going, you know, the stirring of your soul, you know. The thing is, if your heart isn't right, it is just a bunch of emotion. Remember, weeks ago, I told you, you know, I, I went to that Jesus Festival in Grand Rapids, and there were thousands and thousands of people, and Toby Mack was just on, he was on the stage, and he had that crowd just a rocking, and they were jumping up and down, and they were praising the Lord, and it was great, except in, again, I don't mean to be negative, but I couldn't help but think, I hope you take this praise home with you so when you deal with life, and you will, I hope that that praise, because you know him so well, and that's why you praised him, will get you through those hard times as well as that emotional high that Toby Mac was getting you into. I hope you know him so well that when you're tempted to go the ways of the world because it is so luring and enticing, I hope that you know him so well that his spirit will say, no, no, wrong direction. We've got to always make sure that our worship and our praise comes from our heart and because of what we know of him, not because of the highly intense emotion that we love to put ourselves into. You know, emotions are good, but when they get bigger than our faith and our, and our walk with him, when our emotions get bigger and we depend on our emotions, and for, the, for example, okay, let's say you go to your church and they didn't sing the song you liked. And you didn't like it. And instead of looking at it or going and getting a better attitude about, hey, who am I here and what am I here for and why, instead of looking at the one you are to be praising and knowing what he has done for you and you're so caught up with, yeah, but it's not my song. It's not, I didn't feel a thing. You mean he wasn't there then? You mean he didn't meet you there then just because you weren't feeling it right then? No, our emotions are great, but they can be fickle. They can take you too high sometime, and then you fall so far, or they can maybe not be there because it didn't just fit your fancy just right, and then you think you missed the whole thing, that he never showed up. You got to be careful. And I think the triumphant entry with their, with their fickle praise really kind of shapes us up and kind of snaps us into our taking a look at uh, what our praise and worship. Are we depending on our emotions and our feelings or are we really praising him for who he is? Mm. So the, the city was stirred up. Everybody's hyped up. Everybody's just going crazy. And the crowds answered, you know, after when, they, when people said, who is this? And, well, he, he is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I don't know. I didn't like that answer. When, when someone said, who is this? I just didn't like that answer because I'm thinking by this time, shouldn't they have been, been saying, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. He's the one that the prophets talked about. He is the one. No, they answered, oh, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. And when they said Nazareth, that's still that obscure, unimportant little town that what good could come from Nazareth. I don't know, I just didn't read it too fast. I just looked at that question and I thought, there, that just, that just cements my point. They, they kind of knew him, but they really didn't. Because if you really know him, you'd be praising him with a different heart. You'd be seeking the real reason that, yeah, he is going to redeem me, but he's going to redeem me from far than from Rome can do. He's going to redeem me from my own self and my sin. They're going to be looking at it in a whole different way. 
I checked the Gospels about, you know, I, I wanted to know, when did Jesus weep? Remember, we know that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And so if Matthew doesn't talk about Jesus weeping, and, uh, and we know that he did. And so I, I took a look and I found that, that Jesus weeps after this triumphant entry and before. So after he has this so-called, you know, everybody shouting and, oh, we're loyal to you. We support you. And he knows that they don't mean it at all for the real reason. It makes perfect sense to me is that when he got, after he took that, that walk and he entered into Jerusalem, he wept over the city. He knows he has run out of time, and they have missed it. Then he entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Boy, did you see a little different dimension? I mean, he is angry. You really see it. And he says he, he overturned the tables of the money changers. Anybody that thinks Jesus is a wimp, all they have to do is watch that. He was a strong man, and he whipped those tables over. And this was clue number two to me, that when he, he first said, you tell him the Lord needs. And then this was another clue to me, is that he is pulling out all the stops. Because he didn't say, my father's house. He said, my house. There is no question when he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. You are just changing. You are desecrating. You are, you are dishonoring. This place is supposed to be where you can come and find your God. Instead, you are using it for all the worldly means in fact, you're even keeping the Gentiles from the one little area in the, in the temple area that they can go. You're, you're kicking them out. Oh, he's so upset. And he makes it known. You're cheating. You're doing absolutely the opposite of what this temple is supposed to do for you. And then, and then he says, um, and then I asked you the question about, but what did, did he like about it? What did he love happen at the temple? I mean, look at the verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And he healed them. That's what he approved of. He, he knew that they were coming to the temple because they needed him. They were going to find him. That is the reason but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting at the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, did you notice that the children were saying the very same thing that the adults were saying? Jesus knew that the adults were not saying it in the right context. And yet, when the chief priest said, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, yes. In fact, I would dare say, he said, I sure do. And I love every one of them. I love it. Now, why? Because they were saying the very same thing. Why did he approve the children's praise and not the adults' praise? They were, they were coming from their heart. No wonder Jesus kept using a child for the, you know, you want to be great in the kingdom? Well, you need to be like a child. You need to be humble like a child. You need to believe me like, like a child does. When, they, when someone that they trust tell them something, they just believe it. When Jesus said, let the little children come to me, I know that that's the prime time in which they can be taught and because that's the time when they won't believe and they won't debate and they won't try to find fault and they won't try to play a game. They just believe. So when they say, Hosanna, son of David, oh, bring it on. They know me. The pure innocence of truth is coming out 
of their lips. And then he said, yes, have you never read? And then he quotes, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Now, maybe this is just my personality, but I looked at that and I have to say, what a low blow that had to been. Because when Jesus said to, the, to those chief priests, who take pride in knowing the scriptures. They take pride in all their, did you see that one robe that dangled, you know, they have all those little bells on it, you know, that everybody can hear them coming and then stand there in awe of their intellect and a bunch of self-centered people. And he said, he said, you know, you take pride and you walk around in all that garb and everybody's saying how smart you are. You're, you say you know it all. You take pride in that. And so then Jesus says, have you never read? I mean, that had to be a low blow because there's, they know it all. And he says, you must have missed a part. Or you, you know it and yet you don't. Because if you really knew it, you would know that the prophets even said that out of the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So, I mean, that, that probably did not settle good, but he challenged them. You can read scripture, you can know it and quote it, but if you don't live it and walk it, then all your pomp and circumstance and all your religiosity and all, all the impressiveness that people think that you're so spiritual, well, I can see the real thing. You don't even know what it means. And he left them and went to the city to Bethany. He went to, out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Now, who do you know lives in Bethany? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Oh, I'm sure he couldn't wait to get there. Kick off those sandals and be with three people that he didn't question for a second. They knew who he was and they loved him for who he was. And their lives had been changed because of who he was. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus represented the epitome of, of what happens to a person when they find a Savior. And, and to me, I'm thinking, my last week on this earth, I think I'm just going to stay here. I think I'm just going to stay put among people that know me and love me, and, and I'm just going just gonna to eat it up here. They're going to take good care of me and get me ready for my final walk, and I'm just going to be with people that, that make me comfortable and, and love me. And isn't that the natural human thing to do? But no, early in the morning, this last week, you watch in our last week's Bible study, and as we do this final week of Jesus, you watch him make use of every opportunity. Never thinks for himself, like, I, be, I just would rather be with so-and-so right now. He never misses a beat, even with the people who are going to take him right to that cross. But he never misses a moment to teach either because it says early in the morning, he, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And knowing Jesus, he got up early and prayed and forgot to eat breakfast. You know, he just was so selfless and he was getting himself centered in for the day. And he was on his way. He was hungry. And he looked at that scene of fig tree by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Now, he is going to use this. Instead of just walking away, he is going to use this because this fig tree, according to the way these leaves look, it should mean there's fruit on there. And he's hungry. He's going to go and get some figs, and all it is is a bunch of show and no substance. Huh, does that sound familiar? This is what Jesus is trying to get across to so many of them then and many religious people now. And he's saying, you know, you're a bunch of show and you're no substance. And so he cursed it. He cursed the tree. May you never bear fruit again. What good are you if you're just all, all looks and no substance? 
if you're not real, what good are you? Remember how he said the axe is right at the bottom of the, you know, I mean, he, he has said all through Matthew, he has really made a point that you better check your heart and see if you're just all show and no substance. And you might have everybody fooled except the one that matters. Now, the fig tree, many times a fig tree was used as a symbol of Israel. And so whether he's talking about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders, I mean, so many times Jesus can, can like kill two birds with one stone. He can talk about the, the whole idea of Israel rejecting him and they're going to pay for that. Or he's saying, you can take it personal. And this is, a, this is a chance and an opportunity for him to say, however you want to look at it, I don't put up. I don't put up with phony. And so when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did this victory wither so quickly? And he said, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth again. I'm going to tell you again. If you have faith and do not doubt. How many times didn't Jesus talk about faith and doubt, putting them in the same sentence and say, you can't have one and the other. The two do not hold hands. You either have faith or you're going to doubt. If you have faith and don't doubt. Now, that little two-letter word, what does that tell you? He's always saying, hey, I'm not going to push this on you. You have a choice. But if you do choose to have faith, even as big as a mustard seed, if you have faith in me and you do not doubt, you can do what is done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. Again, he uses that mountain as an example because we know that logically there isn't a person a human being that could go to a mountain and move it to this side or take a mountain and move it into the sea. There isn't anybody that can do that. And he's saying, without me, you can't handle the mountains in your life. But if you have faith in me and you don't doubt, you can look at those things that are hard to accept that, that you're battling with because you expected God to be and do and he isn't coming through and now you really don't appreciate how he is treating you in this. You can either do that and, and wallow in your mountain because you can't move it or if you have faith and you don't doubt, he's saying you... I will give you what it takes to accept this and that you don't miss what I've got for you. You will get, you will get to the other side. You will get to that place where you can accept. And you thought it was impossible. You thought it was hopeless. But if you have faith in me, you can move that mountain from impossible to possible. I can do this through him who will give me the strength. There's strength. There is power. There is hope and always will be in the name of the Lord. They that wait on the Lord find that their strength is renewed. I mean, you can, the scripture just so works together and you find that you, when you, child, repeat it again, when you think you can do life with your own strength, with your own power, it, it isn't going to work. It's impossible. It's that contrite, it's that black and white, that's what he's trying to say. And then he says this, again, if, if you believe, you can, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, you know, people love to just take that verse and run with it. But look, if you dissect it and you know Jesus at every detailed word, he's got a reason for, he starts by saying, if again, okay, if you choose to believe, believe what? Believe that he can do what you can't. He can do through you what you can't. If you believe, 
You believe that all things are possible with him. You believe because, because he says, um, whatever you ask for in prayer. Remember, we've talked about this. When we've done the Lord's Prayer, prayer is not just the time you close your eyes and fold your hands. It's a dimension of it, but prayer in and of itself is your connection with him. A connection that should never, ever let go. Prayer is, that's why I prayed it this morning, and I'm going to keep repeating it because it has changed my life. If I stay connected to him today, if I choose to stay connected to him, because that's what I believe prayer is. It doesn't, I mean, I will spend time with my eyes shut and my, hand, my hands folded, and I will spend that time today. But I'm, I've got a lot of, I've got to go get a new passport. I, I've got a lot of errands today. I've got to study um, this afternoon. I've got a lot of things to do. But whether I go to Meyer, whether I go to uh, get my passport picture taken at Walgreens, or whether I go to City Hall to get my passport, I mean, I've got a lot of places to go. Now, I'm not going to be closing my eyes and folding my hands at all these places. And yet, if I stay connected to him, my attitude, no matter, okay, something happens and somebody crosses me or it's, you know, I got, a, there's a long line um, and I look at my watch and, oh no, I'm running out of time and, and I'm staring. You know what? I am discovering that the Lord's prayer, he says, if you stay connected to me, I will feed through your mind. Hey, you've got a father who loves you. You've got a God who's on your side. Your kingdom has come. You've got a Savior. You've got, his will is perfect for you today. Every second he knows exactly what's happening. If I stay connected to him, I, the things the Holy Spirit will bring through my mind today is that he, he won't lead me into temptation. He'll, he'll keep me out of it. If I go to him. If I, if I stay connected to him, even in all my errands today, I, it will go through my mind that, that um, he's going to supply what I need. That he will forgive me. He will forgive me. That I, if I confess and repent to him, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me. All of these things, when I'm connected to him, all of these things will keep going through my mind. You think that won't help your attitude in the way you handle your errands and in your demeanor and in difficult people? And um, you stay, and that's why he says, if you choose to believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The Holy Spirit will give you everything you need from, from the tip of your head to the bottom of your toe. You'll be able to handle today. We have got to get out of our mind that when he says whatever you ask, no, no, that is not what he means because he knows when to say no and he knows when no is right. Sometimes his answer is no. And we have got to believe that he will answer every prayer that we give to him, but he will answer it perfectly. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, sometimes it is yes. But when you don't doubt and you believe, you can ask in prayer because you know what? You're connected to his spirit. Your little S spirit is going to want what the capital S spirit wants because it's perfect. It all fits together and to be able to take it out of context like that, no wonder people get mad at God. Then he entered the temple courts and while he was teaching the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Always trying to trick him. Always trying to trip him up. By what authority are you doing these things? How do you have every, any right to be able to say that? And who gave you this authority? And he, wasn't that something through Matthew? Haven't you watched Jesus when he's been confronted time and time again by these people? And you'd think he would just, you know, you'd think he would, but every time, every time he, he gives such the right answer. You know, I, the one that pops into my mind is when 
yeah, who, who do you pay your tax? Shouldn't you be paying taxes, you know? And, and how he uses that fisherman, Peter, go catch a fish, open mouth, and there'll be coins, pay the, fish, pay the taxes, give to Caesar what Caesar, what Caesar's give to God. I mean, he just, what, do, what does that say to you? When you are connected to him, when you're connected he's, as he is to his father, what do you know about when you are confronted and when people try to trip you up or try to, you know, what do you, what can you take confidence in? He will always give you what you need. You will be, you will have the right answer. Now you've got to want it because maybe your human nature wants to say a whole different thing. But if you wait on him, he will always give you the right answer. And, and his right answer this time is what? He, he answered their question with what? A question. He said, okay, I'll tell you, but I'm going to ask you first. And if you can answer me, then I'll tell you. About John's baptism, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? Oh, wouldn't you just love to have been there? They started that nervous chatter, and they knew right then and there that he had them because they knew, and they admitted, if we say heaven, then why didn't, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say men, then we've got everybody else, and we're, they're all going to be mad at us because we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. I read those two, those couple of verses there, and I saw two words by their answers. If we say heaven, then he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? You know what they just showed? They were true blue hypocrites. Say one thing and mean another. Oh, we could say we know and believe all this, but we really didn't. <laughs> and then when they said, if we say men, then we get everybody worked up and they're all mad and who knows what they'll do to us. And then I see coward. Here they are, the top religious men of the day and age, and they are hypocrites and they're cowards. So they answered Jesus. I, I give them credit for one thing. They at least admitted we don't know. Because we're hypocrites and cowards, so we have no answer. And then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Now, at first, I thought, now, Jesus, how come you didn't tell him? You could have given such a great sermon right there. You could explain to them where you got the authority and you could have, you know, went on and on. And then I thought of the, the verse in Revelation in the last chapter where Jesus said, hey, if you want to be vile, stay vile. In other words, hey, I am closing this up and if you don't want to believe and if you haven't believed by now, <laughs> I've said all I've had to say. And my first thought was that, like, you know, why cast pearls before swine? And, and then I thought, I'm just going to write you off. And then, I, then I, I watched the next paragraph. And I thought, yeah, you know, there was a part of him that said, you know, no, you're not going to understand where this authority came from because you don't even believe it's, of who I am. And you certainly then aren't going to believe that he's my father and that's where I got my authority. And I then have been given the authority. I mean, he could, they're going to think that's such a bunch of nonsense. It's just going to make it matter. Then I, I looked, I thought, but he is going to try again. He is still going to try. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't say, you know what, enough's enough. Now, in Revelation, he does because then it is too late. And he's going to make that point right here in Matthew 21 in a minute. But right now, he's saying, you know what, I'm going to try this story once. You know, there, there was, there was a, a vineyard owner who had every right to say to his two boys, you know what, I got, I, got, I got a job for you. So he said to one son, go to work today. And the son said, I will not. I mean, boy, 
have you ever asked your kids to do something, you know, and they gave you a list a mile long of why they didn't want to, and they whined and complained, and on and on. Oh, believe me, I had one kid like that. And yet, I could still count on no matter how much he complained, no matter how much he, he whined, how much he didn't want to do it, gave me reasons why it wasn't the smartest thing for him to do, and all that, I still knew that Jason would do it. That was just him. I knew I could count on that. So I think we all understand this, this kid. But then you've got another kid there. Now, he's the prim and proper one, you know. He's the one that, oh, I mean, he, he wanted to make sure that he looked good and he sounded good and that, his, that the, the opinions were good and all that. Oh, sure, no problem. And yet, he got too busy, forgot. I don't know what his excuse was, you know. I mean, I thought, so on the exterior, so, so, of course I and that father's thinking, oh, what a good boy. And he didn't, he didn't do it. See, just so, so on the outside. Kid probably never intended to do it. Who knows? All he cared about was the opinion of his dad saying, what a good boy I got here. So Jesus said to them, okay, which one, which one of these two did what the father wanted? Well, of course, the first one. Jesus said, oh, here's the lesson. Oh, he doesn't miss. Look, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Oh, that was probably the lowest of the low. I mean, these Pharisees considered tax collectors and prostitutes the, the lowest on the totem pole as far as worth was concerned. And yet Jesus is saying that they are going to enter the kingdom ahead of them. The audacity. Sometimes Jesus has got to, I think he's doing this on purpose. I'm going to make these statements that maybe it will get your attention. Prostitutes and tax collectors are going to get there before moi. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. In other words, instead of saying the audacity of that, you should have said, if he could forgive them, then he can forgive me. I know I've given this example before, but it came to my mind. It was years ago. It was a church, Dutch conservative reformed church in Minnesota, and the place was packed. And I, I told you how the first song, this guy in the front was looking at his watch. He was bored out of his mind. Let's get this over with. And I knew as I looked to case the audience, the majority of people had the attitude of, you know, of many family members, I have to show up to this because what would so-and-so in my family say if I didn't come? And, you know, the pretense and the reason why they were there. And, and I could tell that this whole night, this concert was going to be a bust. And so I had to do something. And I said, Lord, take, take something. Make me say something that will get their attention. And I remember out of my mouth, I don't talk like this, but I said, I bet if I told you I used to be a prostitute, you would listen to me. And boy, did their heads come up. And did, they, did I ever have their attention? They were putty in my hands right then. But I had an opportunity to say to them, no, maybe I wasn't a prostitute. Maybe I was a good Dutch reform girl. And maybe I did sing on children's Bible hour. And yes, I was a good kid. Didn't cause my folks any trouble. However... However, I was lost. I, my loss was just as lost as a prostitute. My sin was just as great as that prostitute. I needed a savior just as great as that prostitute. I sat in those church pews just like you did week after week and heard it after, and heard it. And I was just as lost until I went to the cross. He then moved on to the next parable. He, he, he knows he, he has their attention now. 
even though you might have their attention, they still have to make a choice. And he moves into this parable and he says, okay, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put up a wall around it. (laughs) I don't mean to get political, but couldn't help but see that. Um, He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, went away on a journey. When the harvest time came, he approached, he said, when the, t- when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Okay, you have, you, you've got, you know, the father who has given this Israel territory. He's, that's the promised land. He's the promised people. And, and he, he, has, he has people taking care of it, you know, and, uh, and, as the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, all that. And then he, the tenants, he sends, he sends someone, you know, he's, it says he sends his servant to the tenants to collect the fruit. So what do those chief priests, what do they do to the, and who are the servants? They're the prophets, of course. So the, the prophets are trying, you know, the servants are trying to take the fruit. <laughs> but what do the tenants do to the, to the servants? They kill him, they beat him, they stone him, and then he sends more, and they do the same. So at last of all, he sent his son. They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, and therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And boy, the answer came. Now, whether it was the disciples answering, but then you see it's the chief priest answering. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him a share of the crop at harvest time. The thing is, they didn't even realize what they were saying. Parables, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And only if you want the heavenly meaning, only if you desire to want to go. They were just seeing the surface. Oh, they had the right answer. Oh, boy, then he should, you know, wretches and they'll come to a wretched end. And add all the smart answers, you know, what they deserved. And they weren't catching it right then. So Jesus said, have you never read? He said that again. It's details. Haven't you read? Look at this. It's right here. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know the verse. Can't you see? Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. We know that. Jews aren't going to believe? Well, then I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. That is one powerful verse that I hope you circle, underline, that you know he's saying every human being has got to be broken. And what does that mean? He who falls on this stone. Now, what, who, what's the stone again? The capstone. It's Jesus. Anybody who falls on Jesus because they know that they are broken in and of themselves. I repeat that your salvation day has got to start pretty pitiful because you have been broken. You know you can't do it. You know in and of yourself you are nothing he who falls on the stone, in other words, you know what the cross did for you, and there was nothing or no one else that could save you. And you want that grace and mercy, so you come broken, humbling. And if you don't do it at the cross, if you don't fall at the cross of Christ, if you don't fall on the one who can save you, if you don't, then what does he say will happen? Oh, but then he on whom it falls will be crushed. When's that going to happen? At the end, at judgment day, if you don't, and I, all of a sudden I notice the difference between broken and crushed. If you are broken, 
pieces can get put back together. But if you are crushed, it's all she wrote. It is too late. And he is making a statement. If you don't come broken to the cross of Christ, then there's going to be a day. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's black and white truth. Then on judgment day, he will come down on you. And there is no more chances. You see about pulling out all the stops? You can't get any more blunt. He is looking right at them right now and saying, I'm giving you two parables here. If, and, that, and look, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, look at what happened. They knew he was talking about them. If Jesus accomplished his goal, he got their attention. They realized it's about, he's talking about me here. Now, what is he hoping, what is he so hoping happens after verse 45? When they notice, when they finally realize, me, he's talking about me, that's me. It's never too late, is it? He, is, he's, he, is, he gives you an opportunity. He is expecting, he is so wanting them because now they admit he's talking about me. He wants them to see themselves enough to be able to repent and say, how did I miss this? We know the scriptures. There it was, the details. But look at, there's that if. Look what they did instead of, they, they did see themselves and you see yourself, okay, you know you need the gospel of Christ. You know that that cross is there for you. You have heard it, but if you don't do anything with it, you can only do one of two things. You can accept it or look what they did. Look at verse 46. They looked for a way to arrest him and they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. There's your choice. They saw themselves. There was their opportunity. People can hear the gospel and they still can say, no. Breaks your heart. It sure broke Jesus. But boy, didn't he try. I can't, we can never say that Jesus didn't pull out all the stops and gave them every opportunity. You know, I think that's for us too, though. We're running out of time. Ruby and I were talking this morning, you know, about, Ruby said to me this morning, she says, don't you just say, would you just come now? And I think that we are getting to that point that we say, like John, please just come quickly. I think time is running out, but are we as intense and making sure? And then what they do? Because I had a girl, I had a lady last night say to me that she she befriends a 96-year-old lady, and she goes to visit her in the nursing care facility. And the last time she said to her, she says, "You know." can I pray with you? Can I? And the lady said, sure, but I don't believe in any God. And so she said, um, I prayed with her. And then, and then um, I said to her, but what if there is a heaven? Don't you want to go there? And the lady said, are you kidding? Why would I want to go there? That is going to be so boring. You give me hell anytime because that's where the fun is going to be. 96 years old living in Holland, Michigan, who has heard and has given, been given many opportunities, and you tell me that self doesn't have a strong will. You either humble yourself to the cross and know who you are without a Savior, but know that you have one if you accept him. Or you can say, even though it's right there in front of you, you can say no. And she says, what do I do? I said, you just don't give up. You keep visiting her. You keep trying. But everyone has an individual choice. Up to you. So something to think about. Have a good week.